Ruth distinguished herself, and by the way, she's not doing this out of selfish ambition. She's not trying to climb a corporate ladder just to have a better existence. Ruth somehow is doing this because of the program of God that's going to be carried on through her and through her lineage, which we're going to run headlong into here before long. So how does she do that? And when we see how Ruth did it, it'll give us a little bit of insight about how you and I can also be outstanding in our field, not for our good or glory, but for the glory of the one who has bought us with his own blood. Outstanding in your field. Number one, I think this passage teaches us that to be outstanding in your field, you must have some notable characteristics. Some notable characteristics. I mean, if somebody's going to take note of you or take notice of you like they did Ruth when she was standing in her field, then we've got to have the characteristics that cause them to take note of her. So what are some of the characteristics that she displayed that she had in her life that caused people to take notice of her and caused her to be that outstanding person in the field that day? Well, I think this scripture tells us several things. And number one, I think the first characteristic, the first notable characteristic that she displayed was the fact that she was self-aware. She was self-aware. Now, in my humble but very wide opinion, self-awareness is the number one quality lacking in would-be leaders today. You say, well, what is self-awareness? Well, self-awareness is simply this. It means that I know who I am, I know how I am, and I know how others perceive me. And you see, if you're going to be outstanding in your field, you've got to know those things. That is an admirable, that is a notable characteristic, and it's the quality or characteristic of self-awareness. You know, one of the things that I have automatically begun to do since being on the mission field, and by the way, Mr. Cole Wells is with us today, Missionary Synagogue, Africa. Raise your hand, you Cole. Y'all welcome her to Grace Church. Isn't that cool? Missionary all the way from Senegal with us today. You know, missionaries have to study very well the people whom they are ministering to and among. And here's what you have to figure out among those people. You have to understand in their mind what is a score. How do you score with these people? And once you figure out what a score is, then you simply score as much as you can in order to get the gospel before them. And that's part of understanding how others perceive me. Self-awareness is a very important characteristic. Now, how are you going to get self-awareness if you don't have it? Or how do you know if you don't have it? Well, here's how you know you have it or not. Everybody knows somebody who is just a people person that has a magnetic personality that people genuinely like to be around. Do you know anybody like that? Huh? Who was it? Uh, Jerry's one of them. All right, we'll go with Jerry. We normally give Jerry the wrong end of the stick. We'll give him the good end this week. Yeah, Jerry's one of those people. So you find you a Jerry, somebody who is good with people, somebody who people genuinely like, and you study them and you say, now what does he have How does he win friends and influence people while I seem to be repulsing people? How does that happen? 
You see, I'm glad y'all said Jerry because that is not me. Uh, maybe John Wilson, maybe Cliff Myers. Uh, 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 several of you guys have that type of personality. I don't have that. I am socially awkward. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize how socially awkward I was until yesterday. I had the full revelation of it because Heather and I uh, were a part of a wedding yesterday. Listen, this was a socialite wedding. And there was about 400 people crowded in this place. Out of 400, I may have known, let's see, counting Heather, two of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just didn't know anybody. So here's what I have learned for somebody like me who's socially awkward. If you can enter a place like that with a good-looking woman on your arm, it helps a lot. Because immediately you take the attention off of you because everybody's looking at her, right? So I keep Heather real close to me in those situations. And yesterday, while we were at this high socialite wedding and I had Heather all very close to me, she kept giving me pointers all throughout the, the, all throughout the entire thing. For instance, she would say, Stand up straight. Don't do that with your mouth. Quit rubbing my hand. I know you're nervous, but that's annoying me. Quit that. Stop looking down all the time. Look up. Smile every now and then. Act like you're enjoying it. I mean, she was just constantly barraging me with what I wasn't doing and what I needed to do because she's Miss Social Butterfly. You know, everybody likes her, and I'm like the proverbial turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> I mean, I just am in those situations. I, so I, I became very self-aware yesterday that I don't do good. Hey, true story, as a matter of fact, one of, the, one of the elders at the church I pastored before we went to the mission field on the east coast of Florida, here's what he said one day. He said, you know, if we could take Pastor Richie and lock him in a room and somebody could go back with the key and get him out of that room and take him by the hand when it was his turn and lead him to the pulpit, turn him loose, and as soon as he's done preaching, somebody take him back by the hand, take him back to that room and lock him back in it, we'd be all right. <laughs> And, and I agree with that. You know, I, 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 so I'm preaching to myself here today when I talk about these notable characteristics, especially of being self-aware. I mean, I, I'm self-aware. I know how bad I am. Now I just got to figure out what to do about it. Huh? So here we go. What happens when you're self-aware? Well, look what happened to Ruth. I think the first thing that happens when a person is self-aware is that they become polite. And that's what she was. She was polite now check this out. Notice in, in verse number 3, or, or, yeah, verse number 2, at what she said to her mother-in-law. And by the way, here this young woman is, assumes responsibility for the welfare of her mother-in-law. And look what she says to her. She says, please let me go to the field. Now does she have to be polite like that? No, but why was she polite? I'm telling you, Ruth was polite because she was self-aware. She knew who she was. She was an outsider. She was a foreigner. She was a stranger in a land of people where, like me at that wedding yesterday, she knew nobody. So she knew that politeness was going to get her places that being rude would not. And can I say to you, it doesn't take a whole lot today to gain points with people if you're just polite and treat them kindly. You know, we live in a society where people are rude. You know that? Have you ever noticed that? You ever notice even how some believers are just so dang rude and obnoxious and they don't even know that they're rude and obnoxious? Hey, a good word, a kind word, being polite. Saying yes sir, no sir. Yes ma'am, no ma'am. Please and thank you. That goes a long way. You cannot be outstanding in your field if you're rude. That's all there is to it. 
And boy, can I also say, it doesn't take a whole lot today to be above average in this field. Does it? Because nobody is today. If you want to know how rude people are, talk to somebody who's a server at a, at a restaurant. Uh, Haley, am I right? It's bad. I, I don't know if I could have her job. I'd throat punch somebody. Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, Heather and I went out to eat at, uh, not Applebee's, one of those places this week. They had a $5 special on fish sandwiches, so I went up there to get me one. I, we had to get up and leave because the people who were sitting next to us were so dang ugly and rude to the waiter. He couldn't do anything about it, but I told Heather, if we don't get out of here, I'm going to do something about it. People are just ugly and rude. So, man, just being polite and having a kind word every now and then, that goes a long way, does it not? So here's the deal. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you. Here, here's, here's the deal. If we're going to be outstanding in our field, then some notable qualities, self-awareness, and self-awareness produces politeness. Number next, notice what else self-awareness will, will produce. She was not only polite, but she was prayerful. And I'm going to show you how God next week, how God answered this prayer. But you know what? When you know that you are deficient in a certain area, and you've got to all of a sudden have some proficiency in it because your life depends on it, that's going to cause you to realize you need some help. And the only one that can help you is God Himself. So self-awareness will cause you to be a prayerful person. Now look, if you're all cocky and think you got it together and there are no weaknesses, then you're not going to depend on God at all because you got it together. Are you with me? But if you know you're deficient in some areas, it causes you to be prayerful. So notice what it was that she said. This is what she said. First, please let me go. There's her politeness. And then notice what she says. She says, let me go uh, to a field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. There it is. There's your phrase right there. You see, this is couched in a tense that's, uh, that's, that's almost used exclusively for prayer. So it's kind of her heart's prayer that she's verbalizing to Naomi. And her prayer was that she could glean somewhere we, where she could find favor in the sight of somebody who could help them. Have you ever been... Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever prayed that God would give you favor in somebody's sight? Because see, that's something only God can do. And... and let me go a little bit deeper. Have you ever found favor in somebody's sight and there's no reason why you should have? Huh? Yeah, I have too. I mean, I, 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 I have found favor in people's eyes and there's no reason on God's green earth that they should have been graceful to me. But they were. And you know where that comes from? That's a spiritual blessing that only comes from God. When you find favor in somebody's sight that you hardly know, they know nothing about you, you know very little about them, but yet somehow or another you find favor in their sight, just mark it down, God is at work. And you see, that's what Ruth prayed for. She said, because she was self-aware, she knew who she was, she was an outsider, she needed help. So when you're self-aware, number one, you'll be polite. Number two, you'll be prayerful. Notice what else she did or some more notable characteristics in her life. Not only was she self-aware, but verse number 7 gives us indication that she assessed the situation very clearly. Now, look at this, uh, 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 what, what the Bible says. The supervisor is talking to Boaz, his boss, and this is what she said. She said, please let me glean. Now, number one, notice her politeness again. She's very polite with this guy. 
But what did she have to assess before she just went busting headlong up in that place? You ever know anybody like that, like a bull in an elephant closet? They don't stop and read and evaluate the situation or the circumstances and find out what's going on. I mean, you just don't want to bust in on a conversation with a, a, a jovial attitude and a joke when two people are sitting there talking about the death of their mama. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's stop a little while and let's assess what it is that we're walking into. Uh, I had a whole lot of this uh, assessment training back in my fire department days in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, I was the medic on a hazardous materials response team. Hazardous materials, that stuff that some of it you can just smell it and you drop dead. And you'd be amazed. You'd be, you know, I'll tell you what you'd do. You'd probably awake at night if you knew some of the stuff that was traveling up and down our railways in some of those train cars and going up and down the road uh, behind an 18-wheeler. Some of that stuff is, 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 is instantaneous death if, if you get into it. And I'll never forget one of our training seminars. Here's what, the, um, here's what our instructor told us. He said, when you assess the situation, you can tell how dangerous it is by how many dead highway patrolmen you have to step over on the way to the scene. Because highway patrolmen are notoriously bad at assessing a situation. Uh, Texas Rangers are too, amen? Huh? Let's... Don't, don't get me on that, but nonetheless, assessing a situation before you rush into it is important. Physically and spiritually. This is why I say she was good at... She didn't just bust out in that field. She probably got there that morning and she stopped and she just sat around and looked and she surveyed the scene. She wanted to know what she was going into in order to know how to act and how to attack this. She would have never known who the supervisor was. Did you, did you pick up on that? The first thing she did was went up to the supervisor, the guy who was in charge. She would have never known who the supervisor was had she not stopped and looked and listened for a little while. So what did she do? What was a notable characteristic? She didn't jump before she looked. She assessed the situation very plainly. So if we're going to be outstanding in our field today, as Ruth was in hers, two things so far. Number one, self-awareness. And number two, assessment of the situation. Number next, what other characteristic, notable characteristic do we see in her life that caused her to be outstanding in her field? Number three, she had no sense of entitlement. No sense of entitlement. Now you know what that is. Well, I'm owed this. This is mine. Now, did you notice the scripture that Amy Madden read this morning? God's Word had already given the Israelites instruction that when they are reaping, they weren't to, to get all the way to the corners of the field. If they dropped stuff, they weren't to go back and pick it up. They were to leave that for people just like Ruth, the foreigner and the stranger. But hear me, just because it's in God's Word doesn't mean you're entitled to it. She knew that she had to find somebody in whose eyes she found favor who was gracious enough to let her glean in the field. So she didn't have a sense of entitlement. You ever notice anybody who just has that sense of entitlement? Uh, Y'all owe this to me. The government owes this to me. My boss owes this to me. Everybody owes, everybody owes me something. You know anybody like that? Now look, that's not the way to win friends and influence people, is it? Because those folks, to be honest with you, are just kind of repulsive. Are they not? 
A sense of entitlement has no place, especially in the life of a child of God. Because the only thing we're entitled to is death and hell. And anything beyond that is grace and mercy. Notice, she had no sense of entitlement. I'm running through this. Number next, she was not afraid to work. Look what the supervisor said. The supervisor said, She came and has remained from morning until now. And this was probably knocking off time. How do I know? Because Boaz was an influential businessman and he done worked an 8 to 5 down in Bethlehem and he's coming back home and she's just now taking her first break and sitting down in the little shelter where they could get out from under the sun for a little while. And the supervisor tells Boaz, yeah, she's been here, she came early this morning and she has been getting it, son. She's been out in the field all day long She just stopped just before you pulled up and went over to get some water under the shed over there. Hey, man, laziness is a pandemic today, is it not? You look at the antithesis of these characteristics and you you might as well just write under it, United States of America 2022. No self-awareness. Lazy, people don't want to work. Sense of entitlement out the yin-yang. Huh? Uh, just go right on down the road and you can see why very few today are outstanding in their field. Check this out. Number next, she was not afraid to work. Uh, man, I remember my daddy used to, you know, my daddy was an electrician. Had several guys that worked for him and he described some of them saying, they're not afraid to work. They'll lay down right beside it and take a nap. <laughs> and that's, that's about the way we are today, is it not? Uh, Not afraid to work. Man, man, man. A good old worth ethic goes a long way in causing somebody to be a little bit above average and outstanding in their field. Hey, you guys that are business owners, Bo, is it hard to find somebody to work today? I mean, it is, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, folks just don't want to do it. I mean, uh, you ladies and gentlemen that are in business and have your own business, your testimony is probably just the same as Bo's. doesn't take a whole lot to be above average if you'll just work. Just work. Check out number next. What, what else did... And this is where, where I go back to Jerry as an example. Because the final notable characteristic here is the fact that she attracted attention. All of these things caused eyeballs to fall upon her. All of these things caused people to take note of her. That's why I said if we're going to be outstanding in our field, we've got to have notable characteristics. It's got to be something about us that causes people to take note. And that's what happened with Ruth. Now check this out. Why do I say that? Verse number 6. The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Look how much he knows about her. And he had only laid eyes on her since this morning. So why do I say she attracted attention? Friend, all of these characteristics and all of these qualities in her life probably caused the supervisor to pull up next to her and say, Hey, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing here? How did you get here? And what are your plans? Do you see that? Now, here's the deal. First Peter, Peter has something to say about this in his first epistle. Here's what he says. One of these things that's always kind of attracted my attention and I've wondered how. But here's what Peter says. Peter said, Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask a reason for the hope that lies within you. Now check out what Peter just said. 
Peter just said, be ready to give a response. He didn't say, this, this was Peter's idea of evangelism. It wasn't just knocking on doors cold turkey. He didn't say go knock on every door in your town. He said live in such a way that people come and ask you, just like they said, Ruth, man, tell me what's your deal? Because you are not like everybody else. Where you attract attention and people scratch their head and wonder, how is it that you do this? What is your motivation? How can you deal with people kindly who are, who are rude to you? How can you work like this? What's going on with you? And friend, when we do that, we're starting to get close to the notable characteristics that cause Ruth to be outstanding in her field. Well, let's move on. Outstanding in your field. There's another character in this story that's also outstanding in his field. And his name is Boaz. So what can we glean from Boaz, no pun intended, about, about being outstanding in our field? Well, I think the scripture tells us to be outstanding in your field, you must be of notable character. I'm sorry, noble character. Notable characteristics, but noble character. Now, look where this comes from. I want you to see this in the text. And there's a word that's used here that you may want to underline. It's translated in verse number 1 as a man of great wealth. And most of the time, this expression is not translated that way. I think I know why the translators chose to do it that way. But this expression is one of those terms that every student of the New Testament must know. I mean, there's some Hebrew that, that everybody needs to know if you're going to get a good grasp of the Old Testament. You need to know the Hebrew. For instance, number one, you need to understand the name Yahweh. I use it sometimes in translating capital L, capital O, capital R-D, Yahweh, the covenant name for God. We need to know that. We need to know some more Hebrew like Shalom, peace and understand the wholeness ramifications of that. Uh, we need to know some more Hebrew like hesed that's translated loving kindness and grace and mercy and tender compassion and all of those other ways. And here's another one that every student of the Old Testament needs to know in Hebrew. It's a word that's trans that, that translates the Hebrew expression gibor hayel. Now just write it phonetically if you're taking notes. Gibor hayel. And here's what it means most of the time. Most of the time when it's used, it refers to somebody who is a mighty man of valor. Does anybody's translation have it like that? Now, a mighty man of valor was somebody who had outstanding characteristics and accomplishments on the battlefield. In other words, if there would have been a Gabor Hail that rolled up on that elementary school last Tuesday... He wouldn't have listened to a stand-down order. He'd have went in there and grabbed that little pea brain by the neck and choked the life out of him before he... Never mind. That's a Gabor Hail. God give us some Gabor Hails, right? A Gabor Hail. It refers to somebody's character. How they're put together. How they're wired. How they're made. And most of the time it refers to the valor and bravery and dignity, and honor of a man. Here it's translated as a man of great wealth. So let's look and see if old Boaz is going to live up to the name Gibor Hael. By the way, this name's going to come into play all over the place when we get into the life of David. Because he was one, and he had them all around him, Gibor Hael's. Now, check it out. 
Notice what, how this comes through and notice why the author says that he was a Gabor Hael, although this was not wartime. You know, you don't have to be involved in war to be a Gabor Hael. And here he is. Notice how it comes through in his character. What was the noble character of this Gabor Hael named Boaz? Well, number one, check out his speech. His speech. Now, I mean this about him. Look, look what he says in, in verse number 4. Check this out. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, stop right there. That's where I want to stop. He was a Gabor Hael. He was a man of great wealth. He owned this field, no telling how many more. He was a man of influence, a, a businessman in Bethlehem. And here he comes on his donkey and cart down a dusty road passing his field and he speaks to the reapers. Now do you know who the reapers are? They're the lowly, inexperienced, hand labor guys that have no expertise in anything else. Here's a Gabor Hail, here's a reaper. And the fact that this man even speaks to those reapers indicates that he's a different kind of guy. Because you know what most guys in his position to do? They'd come by and they'd just snub their nose at them. They'd look down their nose. I'm the boss. You're the peasant. I'm not even going to dignify your presence with, a, with, with, with an acknowledgement. You know anybody like that? Boy, I can, I can name a bunch of them. Some of them even preachers. Huh? That'll snub you, son with the best of them. And here old Boaz was. What made him different? I tell you what made him different. He was a Gabor Hael. He was of noble character. And can I say to you that everybody who has been born again, you've got the noble character bloodline coursing through your veins. Now sometimes it might not get out very good, but it's wanting to get out. Man, if we could bring that character within us to fruition, how much better would things be? So number one, not only do I want to take note of his speech because he was of noble character, of the ruling class, a mighty man of influence and valor. And here he speaks to these lowly workers. But number next, look at his spirituality. When he speaks to them, he has something spiritual to say. Check it out. Look what he says. He sees these reapers and he says... May Yahweh be with you. Now you see, that was indication that this guy was a spiritual man. It wasn't just a, a flippant, may God bless you, as we say today when somebody sneezes. But this guy couches this again in the language and the tenses of prayer. Meaning that the desire of his heart was that God be with them. He knew that what those laborers needed more than an honest day's pay was the presence of God in their life which gave them peace and wholeness and well-being that no paycheck he ever put in their hand could give them. So he was praying, God, be with you guys and gals as you are working here. Hey, let me stop and ask you. Those of you who are employers, do you treat your employees the way Boaz treated his? Do you speak to them and have spiritual conversations with them and have an intense desire that God would be with them? So his speech 
was spiritual. But notice what, what else happened. When, uh, when he says to his lowly hand labor workers, may God be with you. The text says, and they turned around and shot him the bird. No. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> you want your laborers to treat you a little better? Start treating them a little better. Look, they reciprocated. They knew who he was. This wasn't no put on. This is our boss. This is the guy we work for. This is why we love him. This is why we serve him. Because he genuinely cares about us. So what did they turn around and say? Verse number 4, they turned around and said, May Yahweh bless you, sir. Hey, now, if you're an employee, do you realize that, man, we have a witness before our employers? And do you pray that God would bless your employer? Because if God blesses your employer, maybe the trickle-down effect will work, huh? Instead of working five hours and filling out our time card saying we worked eight, maybe a little bit of praying God's blessing upon our employer would go farther than that. So we see, number one, that he was of noble character because of his speech. We see it because of his spirituality. But we also see it because of his specific question. Look at the specific question that he asked in verse number 6. So, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reaper. So he's talking to the supervisor now. Can't you see me? He pulls his donkey cart like our missionaries are going to be on next week he pulls it to a stop and he says to the supervisor who's there leaning up on a fence post hey this young woman way over there on the back 40 who does she belong to now that could be interpreted one of two ways number one it could be interpreted whose wife is she who does she belong to or number two, it could be interpreted, of what clan is she? She belongs to what clan or what family? Now his specific question also tells us something about his noble character. Now here's what it tells us. Number one, it tells us that he knew the gleaners. He knew them. Now who were gleaners? You know, back in my farming days, we had a combine. Alice Chalmer, Jerry, you probably remember this. Alice Chalmer made a combine named it was Gleaner, indicating that it didn't leave anything. It took it all. Now, what gleaners, gleaners and harvesters are two different things. The reapers or the harvesters worked for Boaz. They were the ones out with a sickle. They would cut the barley. They would gather it up, and they would tie it and put it down. But the gleaners were the ones who came along. They didn't work for the employer or for Boaz in this case. They were strangers, they were widows, they were the destitute. They would come and they would pick up everything that the reapers had dropped. Now, they were even lower than the harvesters because they were destitute. They were dependent upon those harvesters to drop stuff for their livelihood. Now, look what this tells us about Boaz. For Boaz to be able to look out in a field and look among 25 or 30 harvesters and 15 or 20 gleaners behind them tells me that he knew every gleaner in that field personally. How do I know that? Because he saw one that he didn't know. Saw one that he didn't know. 
So man, what a, what a man he was. Hey, he was a people person. If Boaz was here today, he would be our mentor, right? I would be, I would take him to a wedding with me. <laughs> and learn how to act in an elite socialite setting. Anyway, you can see the nobility coming through his bloodline, can you not? So number one, his specific question tells us that he knew the gleaners. Specific question number two, tell, or, or the second thing his specific question tells us is that he had an eye for guests. He had an eye for guests. Oh my goodness. This is what? This is the atmosphere that we've been trying to create at Grace. A church that's full of people that has an eye for first-time guests. Somebody that comes in, they survey the field, and they say, I know everybody that's here, but wait a minute, I don't know that person. And then go up to that person and say, Hello, my name is so-and-so. Doesn't matter if you're a people person or not. If you're like me and socially awkward, you still got to do it. <laughs> Pray that the Spirit of God will give you a dose of social butterflyism <laughs> so that you can get that done because that communicates. That communicates. And here old Boaz was. He knew everybody in that field, but this young girl, he had an eye for guests. And he stops and he wants to know something about her. Wow. Hey, did somebody do that? How many of you had somebody do that to you when you first came to Grace? Anybody? Yeah, look at there. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Need to develop an eye for guests. Now, you're starting to see the noble character come out of Boaz and why people like to work for him and why his employees were saying, May Yahweh bless you, sir. Check it out. He knew the gleaners personally. He had an eye for guests. This girl's never been here before. I need to know something about her. And then finally, he recognized an opportunity to be graceful. Why did he have an eye for guests? Because he realized his responsibility before God with what God had done in his life and how God had blessed him that it was his divine responsibility to pass it along and to be graceful to other folk. Isn't that cool? Hey, this week as you are sent... And who is it that's doing our missional blessing? I did that. Look at there. Cliff's going to do the missional blessing. Let me do part of it for him right now. Grace Church, this week you were sent. You get out there and you have an eye for the guest. You have an eye for the outcast. You look for an opportunity to be graceful to them like old Boaz did, and you be graceful to them. Before long, let me tell you what folk will be doing. Grace Church will make itself attractive. And folk will be saying, Hey, tell me about you and your church. Why are y'all so different? Why do y'all pay attention to people? Why do y'all look for opportunities to be kind to people that even are rude to you? Why do you look for opportunities to be graceful to folk who really sometimes deserve no grace? That'll cause Grace Church to be outstanding in her field for the honor and glory of the one who's worthy. Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And our prayer is, God, that we will take it seriously and that Grace Church will begin to emulate the characteristics, the notable characteristics of Ruth, the noble character of Boaz, 
And Lord, we'll be outstanding in our field for your honor and glory so that people will come to us and ask us to tell them why we are like we are. So God, would you shine through us this week as we go out and seek to glorify you and attract attention for your name's sake and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You're here today and God's attracted you to grace and you want to be a part of this family. I'm going to have Dr. John Wilson standing up here. Colin Dollar normally is, but we have sent him out this week. So Dr. John will be up here. He'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. God's speaking to you about being born again. You've never been saved. We didn't have a lot to say about that today. We talked more to the church, but nonetheless, Spirit of God's drawing you today. You want to know how to have this noble blood in your veins. Dr. John loved to talk to you about it. I'll be right here. If God's spoken in Jesus' name, won't you be faithful to Him?